trails of troubles, rows of battles, fans of victory, we shall walk. Good afternoon and welcome to WEHC 90.7. You're tuning in to She Walks with Sharon Bowers and Carly Blaylock, and we're glad that you're joining us. Carly, how have you been? I've been doing well. How are you? <laughs> Same thing. Yeah, just really busy time. We we have to talk about it on our show, but uh, just came through the one of the real critical times as a United Methodist clergy where we just uh, had... 264 churches leave, leaving us with 578 surrounding the issue of allegedly their conscious and whether or not to have full inclusion for our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters mm -hmm. and siblings. Um, so yeah, this has been a whirlwind week for me and, and maybe sometimes in the future we can talk about that because all of this goes together from an intersectional perspective. It all goes together for, you know, uh, 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 empathy and humanity and all of those things are, it, we just keep crossing over, getting our wires all crossed over and treating people less than kind, less than wholesome, you know? Yeah. So that's my week. What about yours? <laughs> Well, your week is far more uh, critical, it sounds, than my week, um, but it has been finals week here on campus, so just getting the, the students through their finals, making sure they feel good about everything, talking about some study plans, um, and just getting them to the finish line, so. Yeah, one of our colleagues, I spoke with him this week, he and I have a one-on-one, -on -one, and uh, he's getting his master's degree, which is a celebration, and yeah. I know you're you're almost there as well, aren't you? Yep, be there uh, next summer. I graduate. So yeah, yeah. So we're we're excited. He didn't send out any invitations or anything. I'm like, dude, this is a milestone, dude. Yeah. And he was like, ah, now nah, I'm just gonna go ahead and just 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 do it. I thought I'd have been blowing up the place. You wait till <laughs> I finish. I'm gonna blow up everybody's feed, <laughs> as you should. <laughs> Well, I guess today we said we wanted to kind of continue our conversation from our last show, and uh, it was about leadership, and it was about intersectional feminist leadership, and Carly, do you want to start us off on that so that we can um, yeah. have some time just talking about that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to. So we were working from this article um, last week, which we found to be really wonderful. Um, this article is called Leadership for Social Justice, Practicing Intersectional Feminism by Helena from disorient.com. And the section that we wanted to kind of focus on, because we talked about this at the end of our show, but we didn't have enough time to really dive into it, was what does intersectional feminist leadership feel like? And there were five pillars that intersectional feminist leadership sort of held up as, you know, what makes it intersectional and feminist. Mm -hmm. um, so the pillars are intersectional feminist leadership is non-hierarchical, it is profoundly humanizing, it is relational, it is critically reflexive, and it seeks to bring out social transformation. So what we thought we would do today is just spend some time going through each of those points and just exploring them a little bit. Okay. So the first point is intersectional feminist leadership is non-hierarchical. And what this article says is power is shared as much as possible and those who claim it check their privilege and pass it to those who are marginalized, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, leadership would look so different if we even tried to do that. But we have always had 
this hierarchical way. Our government is set up in a hierarchical way. I mean, everything we do is hierarchical. So then when we start trying to look at something that is collective or uh, any other model, it it pales because we that's not what we know. It doesn't feel familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels counterintuitive simply yeah. because of the way that we've always thought about leadership and thought about leadership models. And so to think about it, you know, what would a non-hierarchical leadership model look like, you know, and and we've talked a little bit on this show previously about like collective leadership and things like that. And I think people, even if they like that idea, they might shy away from it a little bit because they don't really know how to get a model like that started or how would they implement that at their organization, right? Yeah. And, and most people who have the power, quote unquote, to start to implement a non-hierarchical leadership model don't want to do that because the privilege that's attached to it for them. I mean, it takes it takes a special person to say, I want to share my leadership role with others. Just something mm-hmm. as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just that, you know, this article is putting forth that leadership should be non-hierarchical, but that power is shared and that those who claim it to check their privilege and pass it to those who are marginalized, which again, that takes, you know, a lot of self-reflection. It takes a lot of understanding the dynamics of power and privilege, which some people are committed to and others just aren't. Yeah. And and I think it would, would require, you know, just kind of sharing that privilege and spreading it around and the people that it's, it's kind of oxymoronic because the people who could make that happen won't because it's more comfortable for them because they have the power to make it happen or not to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently, I uh, there's a an organization we were looking at to take the leaders of Emory and Henry, our leadership program, to it's down in um, Jefferson County, uh, Tennessee, down below Morristown, and it was part of SNCC. It's got a real strong historical root. Uh, and what what really amazed me, Carly, was I looked and I saw that they had co-directors. Mm-hmm. of that entire program yeah and and it looked on the surface just just visually looking it looked like at least it was a woman of color and a white male and you couldn't tell anything else about them so you didn't know gender uh identification or any of those kinds of things but just to look there and say that this large organization that is all about social justice has at the it's it's living what it says you know yeah. by having having that uh uh you know the non-hierarchical leader now, and that still can happen when you have two people who would still need to do you know what we're talking about but it's it's just being able to see those decisions being made across the organization by more than one person so you don't have that famous saying the buck stops here yeah absolutely or you know that like we read earlier, um, I think in the last episode, thinking about leadership as I am the leader and everybody else that works under me is helping me achieve my vision. It's we're all working for a collective vision. And I think that is ultimately where we're trying to get to. And and I know like we, we have a women's group in my, well, it's not really a women's group. I shouldn't say that because there, there are other people in it now but it's called Conversations on Race and it's a grassroots organization. It's out of Knoxville. And and so it kind of birthed out of the Holston Conference, but now we're going to just be free and standing alone. But we wanted to do, now a bunch of women, primarily women with a few men 
and women who started the organization. And so we decided we wanted to do non-hierarchical, that we wanted to do collaborative, you know, our collective leadership. And we had a workshop, we had training, and it didn't really matter because most of those women were over 50. And most of those women had grown up in an environment that was hierarchical. Mm -hmm. So even after the training, even when we tried to do it, it always came back to them seeking out one leader to carry us to the next step. And yeah. we, we'd spent time training the whole nine yards. So, you know, finding somebody who will check their privilege as well as pass it on or as well as share it is important, but to share it with, you know, even more the marginalized. And so that's what that article said. And I, I think it, it, it goes down to that whole thing about who you invite to the table. And uh, I think it was Shirley Chisholm said, if, if, you're, if you're not invited to the table, bring your folding chair. Well, I think on the surface, that's good. But you bringing a folding chair or you even being invited to the table doesn't necessarily give you agency. And so that privilege is what can afford agency to everybody that's around the table, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this article has some questions for like reflection um, at the end. And okay. along those same lines of what you're talking about, some of the questions they ask is whose interests are taking precedence? whose needs are being met, um, what voices are being heard, and what voices are being sidelined. And I think, you know, those are great questions to start asking when you're trying to move to a new leadership model or even just, you know, where does our organization stand right now? Who do we have in these leadership positions? Whose needs are being met? Whose voices are being heard? Whose are not, right? That can just help to guide at least an initial conversation. Yeah. And, and I think one of the challenges, Carly, I know for myself, you know, one of the challenges is seeing everybody as value added and, and seeing all persons as equal. You know, that's how, that's that whole rethinking that is required of one to participate in a non-hierarchical leadership. Because, you know, we use degrees. How many degrees do you have? have you know what and, and you can have tons of experience and you could kind of do all these things but if you don't have the appropriate degree especially in academia then you're not you're not going to be heard and I remember when I first came to came back and was going to be a, a Holston Conference uh United Methodist minister and the bishop came to me and he said, you're amazing. You're phenomenal. You've got great ideas. You really are helping our team move to the next level, but I need you to go to seminary because mm -hmm. nobody will hear you if you don't have a seminary degree. Yeah. And I was like a seminary degree when I've been doing this grassroots forever and I know what I'm doing. And he said, yeah, first of all, we need to get you paid and you're paid based on having that degree. And then secondly, you, you need that to be heard. And you think about how many marginalized people don't have whatever it is that's been prescribed as needing to be heard. Absolutely. And that is, that's common across the board. I mean, kind of whatever industry you work in, whatever realm you work in, those degrees give you legitimacy, whether, you know, and that we can debate that all day long, whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing, but there is a level of privilege there too. Oh yeah. Everybody can go get those degrees. And, you know, I feel like it negates the lived experience of a lot of it, people who have so much to contribute and maybe don't get a chance to contribute that because they don't have the degree. They don't have the stamp of approval saying, yes, you know what you're talking about. 
And that is something that is definitely worth considering and looking into for sure. I think you shared with me, I know we got to move on to the next part of this, but I think you shared with me about one of your colleagues who is term has a terminal degree, you know, remembering to invite you to the table because of your expertise. Yes, um, that happened recently. Yeah. And, you know, I do not have a terminal degree, <laughs> but the topic that we were discussing is something that I, you know, have expertise in and I have, you know, lived experience in and, you know, this person was like, no, she needs to be included in this conversation. And that was a really great moment for me, for sure. Right. And that that's kind of, you know, breaking down those barriers. And, you know, as you said earlier, as you read in our hearing about power is shared as much as possible and whoever has the privilege checks it because that person could have went right on and could have, and I've seen this happen before, had meetings with you before they went to their meeting to pimp you for all your information. <laughs> and then- 100%. And then went and sat at the table like they knew what they were talking about. But mm -hmm. really, you were the one. That's happened to me several times. Though Recently, a woman, she said, uh, Sharon, could you come and look at this? You are such a good processor. And uh, could you take a look at this before I turn it in? Well, in the conference, she is getting paid the big bucks to do it. Mm -hmm. So why should I do the job that I don't get paid the big bucks to do? for you so that you can look good. And, and that happens yeah. often. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's our next one, Carly? Because I know we're going to run out of time. We always do. <laughs> <laughs> and we can, we can keep exploring these over the next few weeks. But okay. So the next pillar is uh, intersectional feminist leadership is profoundly humanizing. And what this article says is that the organization or collective holds space for your whole self beyond a quote unquote resource whose primary purpose is to produce value for the organization. Your personal lives, your bodies, your needs, your disabilities and abilities are embraced and nurtured and you feel seen. Of course, that's the ideal. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and and I guess that being able to kind of let you be you and and celebrate that, you know, in a, in a professional way, especially I think we're talking about, you know, intersectionality in the workplace and how we can foster justice and all of those kinds of things, as opposed to it being just inclusion, because I think sometimes inclusion gets a bad rap because we it's it turns into tokenism. Mm. It's really not full inclusion. And often when I talk about inclusion, I always, you know, give it that modifier full inclusion. Yeah, because inclusion alone is not enough because it doesn't necessarily take into consideration agency and advocacy and activism, and all of those other things and just being heard. Uh, you know, so I like what you what you shared with us regarding, you know, the totality of who you are and, and you know, see me. This is me. And and as a black woman, a black womanist, a black feminist, uh, it is often I am the worst nightmare for many people. So if they can ignore me and not see me, they don't want to, because I think they're, they're not they're unsure of what I might say. Mm. Yeah. You know, so many times if they can gloss over me and somebody else can say something, you know, um, I often in in some circles, I have to have people who say, well, like Sharon said. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I just laugh on the inside because Sharon saying it, it couldn't be heard, mm -hmm. you know, because you don't want to see me. You're you're really upset that I'm even at the table. So, you know, if you could do anything to to not hear me. And and I think that whole hu humanizing kind of piece is I, I don't think people and that I think there's a there's a, a some um, 
anti-racism steps that would need to be taken for that because from a racial perspective many times and even from an age perspective many times you know we we say things like the adage you're to be seen but not heard or you know if you were during the period of enslavement and you were a person of color then you were not you you were not seen absolutely yeah and i think it's really great that this article talks about seeing your people beyond a resource. What can you do for us? What can you bring to the table? Because of course we can all bring a lot of things to the table, but you are a person beyond that. And I think sometimes in organizations, whether those organizations are working towards a common goal, like it's a kind of a social justice perspective, or it's a company that you're working for or whatever, it so much focus is put on what you're producing, what you're bringing in, what you're accomplishing versus where are you? How are you doing? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially I think through the pandemic, we saw that shift in mindset a little bit because, you know, we did have to kind of put production numbers on the back burner a little bit. And now that we are trying to get back into the swing of things, that focus is falling away. That's putting, it's now being put back on what you're producing. And of course, we all want to do, we all want to work and we all want to do what we need to do, right? But at the end of the day, you're a human being. And, right. you know, that needs to be a focus as well. I, I think that's that's really, really powerful. And, and I guess that leads us to, you know, to kind of how important it is for us to be in relationship with one another. I think that was one of the ones that you read. Uh, it's relational. And it, yeah. it really is important for us to, you know, kind of respect one another. Yes. For what yeah. we bring bring to the table and for what we, you know, it's it's like sometimes in a hierarchical leadership, we forget that people have real lives, real things going on, you know? Yesterday was an off day for me and I had to be in meetings. And of course, I didn't share with anybody. I had meetings all day long at the, the United Methodist Church meetings. And, uh, you know, yesterday was the day my husband died, you know, five years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was, you know, they were making jokes and laughing and I was trying to hold myself without kind of trying to pull everybody in to my own grief or loss or whatever, because you can't do anything about it. And I was just processing that, but it still was the day. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, nobody, everybody just assumed that life was good for everybody. And I really doubt if I was the only one that was experiencing some grief and loss, but on the surface, you know, everybody was kind of like acting like life was wonderful when yeah. many people might've been going through some real life situations. I mean, every day, I mean, I know you can't wear your feelings on your sleeve, but then I guess in reality, you could, <laughs> you ought to be able to say this, especially in that environment, that faith environment, I should have felt like I could have said, you know, um, could you just uh, lift up, you know, prayer for me regarding this? This is the anniversary of my husband's death. And you know, I've just been thinking about it a little bit, but it wasn't that kind of, it was like, hurry up, let's get this done. One person, the leader had to go to another meeting and yeah, it was, it was just like, and the whole time I was thinking we're, we're surface, we're doing all these things, but relational, you know, nobody ever even asked if anybody had any real needs. So there was no place to say that in our whole meeting, in our hour and a half meeting. Yeah, I mean, I agree, especially in like a faith community setting, but also, you know, you always say, um, if you knew my history or her story, you'd treat me differently, right? That's right. such a powerful thing that you bring to the forefront. 
And that is part of that, right? Like, you know, maybe someone that you know is acting a little strange today, but you don't know why, you know, and if yeah. you haven't built a space, whether that is a community organization or a faith organization, or even a company, a workplace that doesn't provide a safe space to have those conversations. And like you said, you know, it doesn't have to be, here's my whole life story, but it could simply be, I'm having a little bit of a rough day, you know, just kind of bear with me today. You know, even being able to say something as simple as that is important. And if you haven't built those relationships, you're not going to know when that stuff is going on. Right. And you're not going to, you're not, you're going to often, I've been in situations where people have had that and somebody said that, and they've started to make jokes. Yeah. You know, like, uh, like something is wrong with somebody because they're not on today. Like in leadership, you have to be on every single day. Well, that's not life. That's not real, real world time. Right. Right. Yeah. You never know what somebody is going through, um, on any given day. And that's why, um, this article holds, you know, that relational piece to be so important. You know, it says we must respect the dignities of others, when breakdowns, problems, or failures need to be discussed, communication is nonviolent, respectful, and even loving. It seeks genuine and meaningful dialogue and values feedback. So again, even when there are issues, maybe your production hasn't been what we need. Maybe you're not bringing to the table what we're looking for, whatever. You know, addressing that in a way that's like, let's figure this out together. Let's see what's going on. You know, you haven't been yourself lately. I'm sure there's some stuff going on in your personal life you know, can I provide you any support? Like just those sorts of things are so important. Yeah. That whole genuine and meaningful dialogue, you know, and, and listening. I think this is the place where, you know, we always talk about leaders listen, you know, or listening is one of the key uh, characteristics of a leader. And, and I think in, in, in a non-hierarchical leadership model, it would be critical to hear what people are saying, both as far as for, you know, personally what they might be saying, but also, uh, you know, in the workplace, that discussion would be critical to hear people's ideas, you know, uh, and to to try to get the meaning out of their ideas, as opposed to, uh, I was in a group not too long ago, and the guy said, well, I'm not going to be meeting with you all. And and he, in a hierarchical situation, he was the, the, the person over it. I'm not going to be meeting with you all, but uh, I want you all just to take some time and come up with a leader among yourselves and do the work and then we'll get back to you. Well, what work are we going to do? And when we get back to you, when we present that work, is it going to be accepted or is it going to be picked apart? Because we've had a history where that had happened. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of like, I don't really think that the feedback that we give you is considered value added because you already have a, a vision of what you want. So the best thing you could do is say, here's my vision, make it happen. <laughs> yeah, right. And and I think you're exactly right. And that's where that relational piece comes back in. If you've built those strong relationships, even if you are in a hierarchical model, right? Which, because that's what most people are going to encounter. If you've built those relationships with the people that work for you, you know, you're going to be able to accomplish things and they're going to feel that they are valued, that what they're bringing to the table is valued, but then them as human beings are also valued as well. And if you don't feel that way, it's really hard to like feel motivated to go above and beyond, right? Yeah. Um, You know, it's hard to to feel like you want to do that if you don't feel valued. For sure. I mean, that that's like, and, and that's some of us left the meeting feeling that way. Like we're at doing this again, it's not going to matter what we do. And I even went so far as to say, 
why don't you just hire a director and let them, he or she, uh, let them um, come up with what they need or want from a task force such as this and we'll move forward. Because yeah. anything else is, I mean, that process had been, we've been looking at the process for over two years and, and it's still starting all over, you mm -hmm. know, and I would imagine that in a hierarchical fashion, that, that work that we were doing was not relational. That work that we were doing made us feel less than human. You know, that work that we were doing, uh, privilege was not checked at the door, but was wielded, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately that is a common experience mm -hmm. in a lot of organizations, workplaces, things like that, you know, when you're working, especially if you're working in, in a large organization or with a large group of people, you know, everybody's communication style is going to be different. You know, sometimes people are going to be a little bit confused on what is needed or, you know, how to meet the needs of certain people. But this is why this article hits that like relational piece so hard is, you know, you have to have those relationships established so that when that does happen, everyone can come to the table, feel respected, discuss whatever breakdown in communication has happened or whatever need is not being met in a way that is respectful, nonviolent, um, genuine, you know, and if you feel like you can't have those conversations or that those things are not going to be heard or respected or valued, you know, that makes it very difficult to, to bring up things that could need to be changed. Right. right. Um, because no one's going to, what if no one listens, right. Then I'm, why would I bother bringing that up? Yeah, I I uh I agree wholeheartedly. Carly, I know there's a couple more that we need to talk about and I would really like to have the time to talk about especially the one that talks about that non-hierarchical leadership is is uh critically uh, reflective because I yeah. think that's that place where we talk about decolonization and that's so big and so broad. I think last week we were talking about or maybe you brought to the table about decolonizing your mind. Didn't you tell me you heard that somewhere or something? It's in this article because that, that stuck with me. I've been thinking about that since we read it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I thought, I remember we, you said that. And and I think that would be a good, good kind of place for us because that whole, you know, I mean, any way of thinking outside of a patriarchal, hierarchical way requires us to decolonize our mind because there have always been hierarchical leaders, our government is set up that way. There's the master servant kind of, all of that is kind of the way we look at life. So I don't know about you, but um, I'd be willing to kind of park it and start there next week. What about you? I completely agree. Um, <laughs> you know, I think we'll discuss the final two pillars. We may just discuss that one if it takes us the whole time, which it probably will. But I think that's a great place for us to kind of dive in and explore that, you know, decolonizing um, your leadership, decolonizing your mind. This article even says like recognizing that patriarchy has no gender and white supremacy has no race, which we could spend weeks talking about that. Um, so I think that's a great place for us to kind of pick back up. Yeah, I, I do too, because I just think that that's the place where if we're ever going to see a shift, if we're ever going to see any deconstruction or dismantling in hierarchical leadership, this is the one requirement that is not negotiable. And that's scary. That's scary. Because the very people who are empowered are the very people who want to remain empowered. They don't want to give that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 
We thank you all for being with us again this week. And, you know, we'll continue this discussion next week. This is a lot of really rich, um, valuable discussion that we're having. But we definitely want to hear from you as well. Let us know what you think, if there's things that you would like us to talk about in the future. Um, we're going to continue to work from this article. So if you want to look it up and read it for yourself, that's also encouraged. Um, but we thank you all for being with us, and we will see you again next week. All right. Bye, everyone. Pass on the victory. We shall walk.